And now our text today. Our text will be 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Hey. Um, so my name is Steve, um, and I've been the associate pastor here for three and a half years, and today is my last Sunday, so we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. First thing, I just want to say thank you to everyone who helped out with halftime today, and, and the beauty of life is in the details, right? So um, some of you are maybe wondering, like, why, why is there this pen in these pictures on the slides? Well, I'm a big fan of the quad pen, so we've, we had quad pen pictures. There we go. And then I love carrot cake, so you're welcome. Uh, we have carrot cake today at halftime, and I heard 90s uh, music being played um, you know, in the greeting time. So anyway, whoever paid attention to all those details, thank you so much. You guys obviously have been paying attention. That's good. All right, now the next thing that I want to do is take your picture, okay? So this is kind of weird, but um, I did this at the first service. So uh, be goofy, do whatever you want to do, just be regen. And uh, on three, one, two, three. Oh, and Eddie, we got him. That was awesome. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, um, uh, kidding aside, it is, uh, this is a special day, and uh, we do feel uh, really loved on and blessed today. So I just want to begin uh, with a word of thank you and gratitude on behalf of myself and Amy, my wife, our kids, Marina and Cruz. Uh, it has been a privilege and an honor to be with you the last three and a half years and to be invited into your community to pastor and shepherd and lead. Um, and uh, you guys have just been very welcoming and extremely generous to us, and we are so grateful for that for each of you. And I'll say more about this in, in just a minute, but I um, want to begin there with just a really big thank you uh, on our behalf to all of you. So with that in mind, let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into it here, Second um, Timothy, in just a moment. Okay, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I do come before you this morning with a very full heart, a very grateful heart. And again, on behalf of our family, um, just want to express the thankfulness that we have for this place, for this community, uh, for those people that we've been able to walk alongside for the, uh, this last season. God, I pray for regeneration moving forward, that you would continue to use this place to be a blessing to build your kingdom, to make disciples, to help you put your family back together, that this may be a place where people find life and find it abundantly. God, may Regen continue to hold up scripture, hold up the truth of the gospel, uh, and be a community that looks to move beyond the walls of this campus to, uh, to love and to bless the neighborhood, the city, this, this area that is so desperate for good news. We pray all this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. All right, so today, um, again, my last Sunday here, and so part of this is going to be a reflection on that, and the other part of it is going to be tying up this series uh, called Disciple that we started back uh, in February. And so our text today does come from 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible, leave that open, at least for the first part here, because we'll be referencing that a little bit. Uh, But this is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. 
Paul is one of the key leaders of the early church. He also wrote much of the New Testament. And most scholars believe that 2 Timothy is the last thing that he wrote. And he wrote it in particular to Timothy, this person that he had invested a lot of time and energy and life into. And so uh, among the final things that Paul said, or at least that we know Paul said. And so along those lines, what I've done today is my sermon is sort of a letter to you guys uh, as a way of uh, saying goodbye and kind of in the spirit of the New Testament letters, okay? So, Steve, a regular guy called by Jesus to serve to regeneration, my beloved brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you. What a journey we've been on for the last three and a half years. When we started in January of 2015, we had uh, one morning service that was quite lively and exciting. We had one evening service that no one came to. <laughs> Albert and I were the only full-time staff. Um, we had an out-of-date uh, logo and web page. And uh, despite all of that, this incredible community that was, uh, in my opinion, ready to go, ready for uh, some vision and direction and ready to move into the next season and chapter of the life of this church. So over the past three and a half years, we have added a second morning service. We finally put to bed that evening service. We've updated the logo and redone the web page. And we've seen a tremendous amount of growth, both in the organization and guts of the church, but also in, in just the body itself. And one of the ways that we've seen that is in how our teams have grown, and in particular, our staff team, we've added Grace and Jane. Uh, they've moved from part-time to full-time. We've brought on Steph and Arlene, Billy and Jordan, and we've elected five new elders in the last three years. And... Uh, at the top of the things that I will miss uh, from this place is definitely those two teams. You guys are blessed with great leadership, with a wonderful staff and elder team. And so my encouragement to you is to continue to cheer them on and to do your best uh, to bless them as they lead here. In the last year, in particular, we've made a lot of strides with articulating our mission and our vision. And uh, we've been doing this uh, with Oxano, uh, which is a, a vision consulting organization that specializes in helping, uh, in helping churches get clarity on their mission and their vision. And if there is any legacy that I leave here, I hope it is this, that regeneration has a clearer sense of how God has shaped and equipped you to do mission in this moment in time. Now, there's so many other highlights that I could, I could point to. I'll just, I'll just hit a few. Um, getting to resurrect and lead the internship program was a ton of fun. There's a few of you in, in here right now who were part of that. Uh, Amy and I loved leading the marriage class. That, uh, those are some really precious moments and relationships that have come out of that class. Um, we loved being able to host a home group uh, this past year. It's been an honor to do uh, weddings and to be a part of premarital counseling with some of you. And uh, maybe one of our favorite moments actually is, is when we get to pray for you guys on Sunday mornings. It's an honor uh, to be able to do that and to carry that and share that with you. And then just in general, it has been a great joy and pleasure to walk with all of you through the highs and the lows of life. I'm also really grateful for uh, your openness to my teaching and my teaching style. We've been able to do 
uh, a lot of different things over the past couple of years, looking at the parables of Jesus, the book of Genesis, the Psalms, most recently this disciple series. I'm really grateful for, uh, for the feedback that many of you have given to the teaching over the years as well. And along those lines, I, I'm a preacher. I can't help it. So I'm gonna, we are going to wrap up the disciple series with just a couple of thoughts here. So again, this text from 2 Timothy chapter 2 is wrapping up this series. And as we've been talking about discipleship, uh, we've seen that this is the mission that God invites us into. We've been breaking down Jesus' call to go and make disciples of all nations. And we've thought about it through the frame of uh, God putting his family back together, right? We've used this language a lot. That is what God is up to in the world. We've seen that joining Jesus in this mission is not, uh, is not just some sort of activity that is reserved for graduate level, super awesome Christians. This is the call. This is the invitation for all of us, any of us who would follow Jesus to make disciples, to help God put his family back together. And it is this mission that ties the whole arc of Scripture together. It's the thread that runs from the creation mandate in Genesis chapter 1 to the calling and choosing of Abraham in Genesis 12 to the exodus and the covenants that God makes with his people to the promise of a king in the line of David, this anticipation of a Messiah, the birth, the arrival of Jesus the life and ministry of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, to the gift of the Holy Spirit and to the unleashing of the church to take this good news to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is this mission that ties the whole thing together. So this brings us then to these words of Paul in 2 Timothy. Again, some of Paul's final words, some of the final words even written in all of Scripture. Paul begins by saying this, and we're looking at just, again, a real short section here, but he begins by saying, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy, again, a guy that he has invested a lot of time and energy and life into. Paul begins by saying, be strong in the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. Not strong in the teaching that Paul has given him. Not strong in Timothy's own abilities or gifts. Not strong in knowledge or talent or theology or techniques or power or position. Be strong in grace. Which is the gospel, right? Not that we are strong in our own power, not that we can make ourselves right with God. We are strong because of the gracious, saving work of Jesus on our behalf. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Then Paul says, The things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people. Now here is where Paul says, Pay attention to what I have taught you. This is an important truth for us because I think too many Christians live with this sort of inferiority complex, this sort of false humility. I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not gifted enough, talented enough, smart enough, whatever, to make disciples. How could I, how could I ever do that? Those are all lies. You are strong in grace. 
You have something to say. You have a story to share. You have experiences. And if you know Jesus, you have good news that must be shared. And far too many of us, we eliminate ourselves from this mission with our excuses. And Timothy had his own. He thought he was too young and he thought he was not the right ethnicity. And one of the things that Paul does in these letters is remind him, you're not too young. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. You can do this. You are strong in grace. Share what you know. Invest what you know. Go make disciples. Now, there is a qualifier in this statement, right? Paul says, invest what you know in reliable people. So the qualification isn't on Timothy. It's on the people that Timothy is investing in. Now, an important point here is that you're not always going to know who reliable people are. Right? This is the tricky part of discernment. But over time, you do discover those who get it and those who don't. Those who are, uh, who are ready to go and those who aren't. Those who are more interested in just kind of talking and those who are ready to roll up their sleeves and get to work. So there is a point with some people, to sort of paraphrase the words of Jesus, where you have to shake the dust and move on. But you do focus on those who are ready to go with you. And the question then is why? Why focus on reliable people? Well, Paul closes this section by saying, find people who will be qualified to teach others. Unreliable, unteachable people who are not on the same page are not going to be able to further the mission. They are going to be like a dead-end street. They're going to be more into their, their own agenda their own sub-ministry, their own soapbox topic, and less interested in making disciples. And so what you entrust to them will not get passed along to the next person. And this is a problem because this is how the mission works. Moving from one person to the next person to the next person, this investment that multiplies out. I think I've shared this story before, but it's stuck with me for almost 20 years now. I remember... Uh, going out to eat with, uh, with my campus minister when I was a college student. And he bought me a burrito, which was like my love language, and that's just gold when you're a college student with no money, right? Oh, burrito. So a couple of weeks after that moment, a bunch of us went out again to some burrito shop, and my campus minister was there. And so I was like, oh, I got you. I'm going to buy this for you. And he was like, no, you're not. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm trying to be a nice guy and like pay you back. And he's like, that's not how it works. I did that for you, hoping that you would then go and do that for someone else. All right, this is the burrito theology of disciple making, okay? (laughs) Investing in someone who will invest in someone who will invest in someone else. This is how it works. This is how the mission of God moves forward. And when you see this happen, when you see that sort of ripple effect happen, it's beautiful. This is how you end up with a discipleship family tree. And again, to paraphrase the words of Jesus, this is the mustard seed impact of the kingdom of God, investing in someone who will invest in someone who will invest in someone else. So as we wrap up this series, just want to give a challenge to each of you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you can do this. Find that person. Find that reliable person. Invest what you know in that person and then watch them go do it with someone else. So who will that be? Who will you invest in? Who is that reliable person in your life? Who is going to start or continue your discipleship family tree? Now, 
kind of going back to what I said earlier, systems and organization are good and important parts of a church, but the mission of the church is always about people. And so what I want to do in closing our time together, both today and just our time, is give you four affirmations about who you are as a church, things that you need to hold on to tightly and protect, and then three challenges, and then we'll be done. So what I want to do is affirm the four key values that we have identified through this process with Oxano, and I think you'll resonate with these uh, pretty deeply. You should recognize them. But again, this is who you are. This is what you want to pass on to faithful and reliable people. So the first thing is this, okay? The first affirmation, the first value is that this community has been and I think continues to be and will be guided by Scripture, okay? Guided by Scripture is the first thing. We have always uh, striven to put Scripture at the center of all that we do, okay? Whether that's a, a small group or some other type of gathering, certainly here on Sunday morning, we are guided by Scripture. And not just that, what I've really seen over the last couple of years is our ability to live it out. It's not just about growing in knowledge or accumulating more information, right? It's about livability, where Scripture comes alive in the decisions and the way that we live our lives during the week. This is partly why we experimented this past season with sermon-based home groups. where We were tracking with what was happening on Sunday morning. That was not about reinforcing, again, the information being shared from the platform. That was about creating space so that we can talk about what does this really look like in my life? What does this look like on a Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. or you know, whatever that might be for you? My encouragement to you would be to continue with that experiment. Tweak it. Work on it. Uh, make it even better than, than what we did this last season. I know you guys can do that. But hold fast to God's word and commit to living it out. Now, second thing, speaking of together, this community strives to be a spiritual family. Okay, that's the second value, spiritual family. Our hope has been, and definitely the feedback that we've received from people, is that Regent has not just been a community in the sense of a place to connect with people and make friends, but it has really become family. A true family that takes care of each other, that encourages each other, that even disciplines one another. And one that certainly lives sacrificially for each other. And nowhere has this been more tangibly true than in the ways that you guys have been caring for our dear sister Jane over the last couple of months. Most of you know, if you don't know, Jane, our worship director, has been out on medical leave for a few months now. And you guys have been praying for her. You've been fasting for her, interceding for her, visiting her, going to treatments with her, bringing her food sending her words of encouragement, even making significant financial sacrifices to help meet her medical needs. And that to me is, that is this value. That is spiritual family. That is being the church. That is the church at its best. So continue to be a spiritual family for each other. Third thing, there is a thriving diversity here at Regen. Over the past three and a half years, I've sat in these pews next to people from all walks of life, of all ages, of all ethnicities, all different kinds of stories and backgrounds. Now, 
It is true that we are spoiled by being in Oakland, right? Not everywhere looks like Oakland. And I've lived in other parts of the state. I've lived in other parts of the country. Again, very few communities look like this city. But the reality is our country is as divided as it has ever been. And the church, and I mean the church as a whole, is no better off. In fact, it remains sinfully and horribly segregated. So my experience is that you are going to need to fight to preserve this diversity. I think this is why it is so important that it is named as a value. That way you can stand for it. You can protect it. What I'm trying to say is this. Don't coast on the reality of the city that you, that you live in. Continue to elevate this value because what you have here is rare and beautiful. Again, I've been all over the country. I've been in a, a, a hundred different churches. None of them look like this. This is a tremendous gift to the world, this picture of heaven that you guys have here every Sunday morning. So fight to remain as diverse as possible. And then finally, I want to affirm the value of whole life service. And this really brings us back to this conversation about mission. One of the things that <clears throat> impressed me right from the very first day here is this deep desire in this community to do good, to be a blessing. And I've shared this statistic before in some other settings, but I'll, I'll do it again now. About 50% of our regular attenders serve regularly at regeneration. Now that stat may not mean anything to you. It may not sound that good to you, but most churches, the majority of churches would love to be at 30%. So you guys are way above average already. And yet, I, I believe that you can do even better. I think that number could be even higher. We have things like the Regen Community class for this very purpose. So what if that number was actually closer to 80%? I think regeneration has the potential to really lead, again, the church in what it looks like to be a serving community. Now I want to take this even one step further because serving is not just about filling roles or plugging holes in programs on Sunday morning. This church has long-standing and really great relationships with organizations doing good work all over Oakland, all over the East Bay, and certainly there's been some beautiful things getting started in our named outreach areas of homeless and refugee ministry. But whole life serving is just that. It's about your whole life being oriented around serving the kingdom of God. And that is going to look as different and as diverse as this community is. But it is this value that gets us right to the core of what it means to be a disciple, this calling to lay our lives down and to be a blessing so that more people encounter Jesus. So that more people are taken care of. So that the gospel spreads. So that the kingdom multiplies. So may you be creative and ambitious in the ways that you serve. All right, three challenges. I would be remiss in my pastoral duty if I didn't offer these as challenges. <laughs> First is this. Become really good at asking great questions. Become really good at asking great questions. To be very blunt with you, one of the most jarring things coming here was 
the lack of question asking that I encountered. Now, there was a little bit of resistance to new ideas. There was a little bit of cynicism, and that's, you know, that's cool with a new person coming in, right? Kind of, kind of expected. But here's the thing. Being a cynic does not make you a good question asker, okay? And conversely, asking good questions does not make you a cynical person. Jesus asked a lot of questions. He responded to questions with questions. Asking questions does not make you a rebellious person. And our faith is meant to be wrestled with. It is meant to be questioned. It is not meant to be passively consumed. So get really good at asking great questions. All right, my second challenge is, is this. I think that uh, as good as it is to ask questions, I have seen that sort of devolve into uh, navel-gazing or being a very internal kind of thing. So my second challenge is this. Be a river church, not a pond church. Okay, let me unpack that a little bit. A pond church is like a body of water that is completely contained within its banks. That water doesn't go anywhere. It just stays there in this one place. A pond, because it is contained, it takes something very significant, right, to get that water out of its banks. Most of the time, though, a pond becomes stagnant. It just sits there, and to be honest, it's it becomes kind of gross, right? <laughs> but a river church, a river church does not grow stagnant because the water is always flowing. It's less concerned about containment and more interested in the movement, right? A river is going somewhere. Now, what is the big significant difference between a pond and a river? This is not a trick question. This is a very straightforward, simple question, okay? What is the big difference? A pond is closed and a river is open. There's a strong tendency in churches and Christian communities to become contained and closed. Now, you do, as I said before, you do need to name and protect your values, but you should never become a contained community. You know you're headed into the pond when you hear things like, well, I just need to figure myself out first or I need to you know, get better before I can start giving away. Here's the thing, though. You can turn a river into a pond fairly easily. Much more difficult to turn a pond into a river, right? So once you start closing off and containing, once you choose the pond, it can be very difficult to get out. All throughout Scripture, though, the river is used as a metaphor for life. I can't think of any verses about the pond of life, right? It's the river of life. And so here's the really harsh truth. When you choose the pond, you're choosing death. Closing off and containing does not lead to the abundant eternal life that Jesus offers. One more thing along these lines, vulnerability is, you know, one of these kind of buzzy words that gets thrown around a lot these days. Vulnerability is not the byproduct of being safe and contained. Okay, it is not the byproduct of the pond. True vulnerability only comes when we risk, when there's something on the line, and when we face the potential of being hurt. 
The metaphor that Jesus used for the life that he invites us into is the cross, right? He says, pick up your cross. He does not say, pick up your couch. It's not about being comfortable. Putting your life on the line, that is about as vulnerable as it gets. So don't buy into the lie that growth, whether that be personal or as a church, comes from being comfortable and protecting yourself. It comes from giving, from releasing, from risking. It comes from faith. And it's in that place, that vulnerable place, that God will show up and you will experience them in all kinds of interesting and crazy ways. So ask good questions, take risks, be a river, not a pond. And then share what you find, share what you experience, and share it together. Share your stories, name your wins, tell each other about what God is doing. And don't just tell each other, tell those who are not here about what God is doing, how you are experiencing him, how he's showing up for you. Now let me just say one final thing along these lines, along these lines of sharing together, okay? Don't ever let anyone trick you into thinking that this, that church is not a team, You are a team or a community or a family, whatever metaphor works for you. You are not solo adventurers taking on the mountain by yourself. You are a fellowship. You are a team. You are a family. You might be able to go fast alone, but you will only go far together. And please take note, everything Jesus did was in teams. Everything Jesus did was in teams. The only thing he did by himself was come out of that grave. And that should be a huge sign to us. (laughs) If you are trying to do it by yourself, you think that you are the Savior. And the harsh truth, but also the good news, is that you are not. You are not the Savior. Jesus is. So, regeneration, be a team. Be a family, and you will go far for the kingdom of God. You will be a mighty river. In Isaiah, we read, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now here's how I want to end, okay? <clears throat> Typically, when, uh, when someone would leave, particularly in the early church, when someone would leave, the community would gather around that person, they would lay hands on that person, and they would send them out. It was a commissioning moment. We're going to close our time together this morning the way that we always do, so I'll invite uh, Chris to come back to the stage. Um, <clears throat> and in a moment after I pray, we'll, we'll enter into a time of, of worship and communion together. But before we do that, I want to flip this around. I want to commission you guys. I want to send you out as a family of disciple makers. So what I want us to do is, uh, since I cannot physically lay my hands on each and every one of you to do this, I want you guys to stand as you are able and to join hands or put your arm around the person next to you. And if you can, to even cross the aisles so that we have some connection here.
And as you guys link up, I want to commission you. So bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, again, I am so grateful to have shared this season with this community, with this family. God, thank you for the things that you have done, the stories that we have that we'll always be able to look back on and share and laugh and cry about together. God, what I want to do now is commission this community to go out and to be a blessing. So regeneration, you are a family of missionaries. You are a team of disciples created and formed to share the good news of Jesus with a neighborhood, with a city, with a region, even with the world that is desperate for good news. So may you go forth as a spiritual family led by scripture, intentional about diversity, willing to serve your hearts out as you give your lives away. Take what you have seen and heard and entrust it to faithful people. May you be a mighty river. And may grace and peace be with you always. Amen.